Hi, church. Welcome. So glad you can join us this weekend. I'm really excited about a new series that we're going to start today uh, called The Life You've Always Wanted. And it's going to be our summer series. Um, the overarching uh, idea and theme is that we'll teach one-off messages geared towards the idea of having the life you've always wanted. Let me give away what the premise is and what the answer is and what the whole series is going to do. We believe that Jesus is the answer to having the life that you've always wanted. So we're going to take things that are going on around us or maybe things that are important to us or maybe things that might relate to uh, the culture we live in, the place we live in, uh, what we deal with, right? Um, and, and look at it from the point of view of what if it could be exactly like Jesus always wanted it to be in that situation? Or at least can we work towards that being the case? Because truly, that's what our job is. It's to represent him here on the earth, to work to bring heaven to earth, uh, to work to reconcile. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Just like Donnie said when he was worshiping, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. How do we do that? How do we apply that? How do we see that happen? So that's the nature of this series, The Life You've Always Wanted, through the lens that Jesus is the answer to those things. So let me give you the scripture I'm going to start with today. Uh, maybe even before that, let me back up. I'll tell you what I'm going to talk about this weekend. Um, I'm, I'm going to deal, obviously, the current events around uh, the death of George Floyd right now uh, is affecting our country in such, um, in such an important way and in some respects in such a negative way in other respects, in such a positive way, you see a little bit of everything, or maybe a lot of bit of everything. And, and here's the thought. The life you've always wanted when it came to, to this thought, how the world operates through the lens of Jesus being the answer, what would be the answer to those in our community, maybe even in our church, maybe even you yourself? Maybe you find yourself not knowing how do I line up in this? And there's things that I see that I totally agree with. And then there's things that I see that I can't agree with. And I don't even know, pastor, how do I approach this? And you know what generally happens to us when we don't know what to do? We just shut down. And that's not the position that Jesus wants you in. Guess who wants you in that position right there? The enemy of your soul. And so often I think we find ourselves when we don't know what to do, we don't know how to go forward, we're not quite sure how God feels about it, we find ourselves being shut down. And the truth of the matter is, God does not want you to be shut down. What we don't speak to, we give the enemy and the world the right and the power to define that thing. And so how do we speak what God thinks and what God sees and, and what God wants done in this? So I want to encourage you, um, not just for this weekend and just for this subject, but as we approach the idea of having the life you always wanted, right? Jesus is the answer to that. L let's look at those things and, and we'll go from there. Uh, I'm going to read a scripture that I felt like God gave me to kind of set up the idea that Jesus is the answer for the problems that we experience in life and even this problem of racism uh, that we're experiencing. So let me, let me read this to you. It's from the Old Testament. Uh, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived uh, a long time ago, about 800 years before Jesus lived on the earth. So 2,800 
years ago. Isaiah was um, a major prophet, meaning that uh, he was a key figure in the Bible, and he wrote a particularly large portion of, um, of the book of Isaiah, right? And lived at a time where he prophetically prophesied to the nation of Israel on different things. He also lived through uh, those prophecies coming true. Uh, some of them were judgment that Israel dealt with and uh, Isaiah helping them, not only like warning them ahead of time, hey, turn towards God. When they didn't, they went through um, a time of judgment and then he brought them back out of that. Isaiah was a major player and had much to say. And some of the things that I like about Isaiah, just personally, Isaiah, uh, he, he prophesied that Jesus would come to the earth. He prophesied what Jesus would look like. He prophesied how Jesus would die. He prophesied that he would come as a baby and grow up to be a man and would give his life. It's uncanny, the things that Isaiah prophesied. And if you don't get like, so was he a magician? What was he? I'll tell you what he was. He was a vessel, just like you and I are, connected to his father. He could hear his father's voice and then prophesy out what his father was saying. And so if you just understand, prophecy is not some weird kind of, you know, spooky thing. Prophecy is just having the heart of God so that you're listening, hearing, and able to speak out God's heart. And that's where, that's where we're going to take this scripture right here. It's a prophetic scripture. Speaking of Jesus, it's actually a scripture that hasn't come true yet. It was used at the birth of Jesus foretelling, okay, the one that's been prophesied is now here on the earth. But it also had a prophecy about um, the second coming of Jesus and what Jesus would do during that second coming, how he would operate on the earth. And so I'm going to take this, this uh, understanding of Jesus in this dimension, what it will look like when he returns and how the earth will be the idea of the life you've always wanted. But here, here's the question. Do we have to wait till Jesus comes back? to have the life we've always wanted, or can we work for and towards those things right now? And I think the answer is yes. That's what our job is, and I'll, I'll try to prove that to you today. Okay, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7 reads this way. Maybe you've heard it. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government... Now pay attention to the wording here, because this is the prophecy of what's to come. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And these will be his royal titles that he's known by. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, <laughs> his ever-expanding, peaceful government. Say it one more time. His ever-expanding, peaceful government. So when the government rests upon Jesus' shoulders, it's being prophesied what's going to happen on the earth is that Jesus' ever-expanding, peaceful government will reign and rule the whole earth. And can you imagine all people not finding uh, this argument, uh, that religion, this thought, but all people together under the peaceful increase of Jesus' government? How wonderful will that day be? And then it goes on to give a, a singular understanding of what it will look like for 
all people, not Americans, not South Americans, not Africans, not Asians, all people, all of God's people will fall under what this, this ever-increasing government of peace will do. Look at this. His ever-expanding peaceful government will never end. He will rule with perfect fairness and justice from the throne of his father David. He will bring true justice and peace to all the nations of the world. This is going to happen because the Lord of heaven's armies has dedicated himself to do it. Listen, if God dedicates himself to do it, nothing's going to stop it. And so simply what we're being told in this prophetic scripture, it's used at Christmas time, isn't it? Unto us, a child is born and unto us, a son is given. And it's beautiful. And it does, it's prophesying and fulfilling the birth of Jesus. But then it talks about a time where the government will rest upon Jesus' shoulders, simply meaning that Jesus will be the one who is administering government, what it looks like, what it feels like, how it operates. And then it gives us a picture. It's an ever-increasing, peaceful government, and then it will accomplish this. Look at this. It will bring true justice and peace to all nations of the world. Can you imagine that no person ever suffers another injustice under the government of Jesus. How good would that be? <laughs> that, that there is no, uh, no unfair treatment of, of a person who has no means versus a person who has a lot of means or a person with this skin color versus a person of that skin color. All will be created equal, treated equal, and it says ever increasing. So it's not going to be some iron-fisted rule where we all just have to accept it. The Bible is, is foretelling a time where it's going to be so wonderful, everything you've always, the life you've always wanted, comes with the rule and reign of Jesus and brings true equity and justice for all peoples. Wow. So how does this, Pastor, connect to the idea you mentioned George Floyd and where we find uh, the cities in our country right now? And in fact, if you've been paying attention, even other parts of the world uh, have become involved in this. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's unbelievable that other nations have, have become involved in this. Well, let me just quickly, um, just for simplicity's sake, let me tell you where you're going to find uh, I wrote it this way, two indefensible extremes that you're going to find with people right now. And I think that we can agree on these two things. So here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to find the place that we can all agree on. And I hope that we can arrive at that. Now, how do I know right now that I'm touching something that's like a raw nerve with people? Here's how I know. Because over the last week, as I have written this message, as I have written uh, a statement about what's going on uh, with the death of George Floyd, and then also saying that um, how the enemy has come in and perverted that to be uh, a crime spree, uh, it, it, it's, it's become where people have become very polarized suddenly uh, by this thing. So what you can really see is the work of the enemy. So here's how I know I've put my finger on something that's raw, like a tooth that hurts or like, like something that's, that's out of line. So I, I wrote this, I've made this statement and I've got, I've got people in both camps mad at me right now. 
So how do I know I'm doing what I... So I don't have just this group agreeing with me, this group agreeing with me, this group disagreeing with me, this group... I've got people that love me, mad at me because I've taken a side in this issue. And that is um, from both sides. That's, that's how I know, man, I'm going the right direction in this. So I'll take my chance and, and go from there. So here's the two indefensible extremes I think we can agree on. Number one, the death of George Floyd is murder. It's wrong. It's indefensible. And there's no way you can feel anything except horrible about what happened in that situation right there. And so if you think, well... You know, pastor, I don't feel that way. I disagree with you. I think it's become politicized. I didn't ask you about the political part of it. I didn't ask you. Let me finish what I'm teaching. I didn't ask you uh, about where he lined up with politically or where you line up with politically. I said that the death of that man being choked out, right, that we watched a murder on TV, that it's indefensible, it's cruel, and it's wrong. And if you say, well, I disagree, something's wrong with your heart, my friend. Something's wrong with your heart. And that's just the nature of, of the case that your heart is not in the right place if you cannot feel mercy and cannot feel sorrow for what happened to that man in that situation. But let me give you the other extreme right now that you could see the work of the enemy happen almost immediately, that, that this death happens and the opportunity to be able to have a dialogue around that thing turned into, I, I put it this way, the other indefensible extreme is the killing, stealing, and destroying that we saw in cities all over America, didn't we? And I think that that is indefensible. I think that that is absolutely wrong. And the people who say, well, I can understand the anger, and therefore it justifies the action. Listen, I'm going to make you mad right now. Something's wrong with your heart if you feel that way. Because that is wrong. To steal, to kill, and destroy. When we were kids, this simple statement was always given to us, and it's true. Two wrongs don't make one right. And you cannot change hate with hate. So that even if you are in a position of feeling like, man, I, I am a person who finds themselves constantly at the end of a knee or the end of a boot, and I'm sick of it, and I'm tired of it, and so now what I'm going to do, I'm going to hate those who have done this in order to get even. I'm going to make a really a strong statement I'm about to say, but the same hate that a policeman had in his heart that killed a man, hate is no different. The same hate that's in a person's heart that robs, steals, kills, shoot. Look, the death of George Floyd is wrong and the death of a policeman is wrong. Both of them are extremes that if you find yourself, well, I agree with this or I agree with that, your heart is being misled right now. Listen, in the life that you always wanted, the enemy is at work right now in the middle of this. All right, so, so I said those things real quickly. It's not where I want to camp at. Let me just talk about the work of Jesus on this earth and how our job is to be doing the work of Jesus. So how do we line up in the middle of this? What can be done about this? I mean, do we just stay home and watch it on TV? Uh, can, we, can we have the conversation? Do we find ourselves like shut down? I, I don't think I can have the conversation because I, I, I'm not a person who's ever experienced that, so I have nothing to say about it. If you're a believer who loves Jesus, you have the right to say what Jesus thinks about these situations. And that's where you line up at. 
So let me just do these two things. If you want to fill in the blanks you use in the online notes, the first one, number one, tear down the works of the devil. Tear down the works of the devil. How do we know what the works of the devil are? <laughs> they are? They are easily manifest in those three things. Jesus said the thief comes, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you find that in any respect, it's not the proof that God is not faithful, that God is not good. It's the proof that we have an enemy in this world who hates us and is constantly stealing, killing, and destroying. 1 John 3, 8 these words are super possible, uh, powerful in that this Jesus said that his purpose for being manifest on the earth, listen to this, his purpose for being manifest on the earth is this, right? Uh, it, it is to tear down the works of the devil, to, 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 to take the works of the devil and to remove them, to crush them, to, to get rid of them in every way that he possibly can, to tear down the works of the devil. The Son of Man was manifest on the earth to tear down the works of the devil. It doesn't say the work of the devil, it says works, plural. How many works of the devil are there? <laughs> as many opportunities for him to steal, kill, and destroy as how many different works that are out there right now. He is working overtime in this situation to cause people to hate each other, to divide more and more, to find ways to cause us to be even more and more apart from each other. And here's the worst part about that. The Bible says that God commands his blessing from unity. In our country right now, here's what we're finding. Where's the blessing of God in our country? And I would say, in some ways, it's being very hindered over the division that we find inside of our country. Can you agree with that? The division hinders the blessing of God because we're not in unity with each other. So our work then in this right here is not to pick a political side with it. Our work in this is to look at where is the devil operating? Not, hey, I'm going to line up with Republicans. I'm going to line up with Democrats. I'm going to line up with conservatives. I'm going to line up with progressives. That is not what your job is. Your job is to find the work of the enemy in these things that are going on and then work to tear down those things to bring people together. So one of the songs that's being sung, when, when Donnie talked about the ministry, uh, or that God is the God of reconciliation, the scripture that came to my mind comes from uh, 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 um, Corinthians, where 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. How do we do that in this earth? How do we reconcile people together? Um, <clears throat> Jesus would have been very familiar with this term. In Hebrew... There's a concept called, in Hebrew, tikkun, T-I-K-K-U-N, second word, olam, O-L-A-M, tikkun olam, tikkun olam. Jesus would have been highly familiar with this, um, with this Jewish thought and idea about operating in the world. The word tikkun olam, listen what it means, to heal the world, to heal the world. And so when we find Jesus at different points in his ministry doing things to bring healing, physical, emotional, spiritual, he is operating from this Jewish thought, this Jewish understanding, this Jewish theological point of healing the world. Look, the world is not whole right now. The Bible says it's under a curse that comes from 
the fall of man and its longing, uh, groaning, uh, praying, all of nature, all of humanity, all of the earth is under the curse, longing to be released, to have the world that God created it to have. And what we can do on this earth at this time and in this place, we can work, not, look, we're not the ones who, who heal it totally, but we can bring pieces of healing through the name of Jesus to the earth. So let me give you an identification of how Jesus operated in Tikkun Olam. It actually means, listen to this, to, to work the law in such a way that the law works for people, not against people. That the law works for people, not against people. Do you remember one of the problems that Jesus faced with the Pharisees is that he, he would heal on the Sabbath, or he would eat on the Sabbath, or he would, uh, he would do good things on the Sabbath. And then they would accuse him of being a lawbreaker, worthy of death, trying to bring division to Israel. And one time, uh, Jesus had healed a man whose hand was, was lame and he couldn't use it. And he did it on the Sabbath, on Saturday. And he met the guy uh, at the temple. They were, they were, uh, Jesus was going in, the man was coming out. And he, he saw the man and he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And the man had been lame since his birth. And he stretched forth his hand and the Lord made it heal whole as he stretched forth his hand. And the Pharisees were incensed. How can you heal someone on the Sabbath? I, I, it's ridiculous to even think about this. But Jesus quoted this. He said that man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. And it fits into the idea of tikkun olam. Jesus was working to make the law work for people, not people to work for the law. And when you find yourself in these situations where you're just like, oh, that is so wrong. I just can't believe that. Listen to me. You can take on the mind of a Pharisee and not understand. Dude, so sit on your couch and judge everybody. How can you change what's going on in the world? How can you help what's going on in the world? How can you be a repairer of the breach? How can you help fix what's broken? Jesus came to tear down the works of the devil. He was manifest for this reason, to tear down the works of the devil. All right, now look, let's be honest. Um, here, here's my thought in this, my opinion in this. Maybe you think I'm wrong. Maybe you think, pastor, that's just, you're thinking too big. But here, my problem is I have to think big. I, 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 this is what I'm charged with. So like right now, everybody's charged up over this death, should be, it's wrong, no question about it. I've said that, but let me just say this to you. Folks, <laughs> in the last 24 hours, how many other people have died that nobody who's incensed over George Floyd has given a care about? Right? Let's, let's draw a true line. Uh, all of a sudden, we worry about you know, people that don't, that don't have. I travel all over the world trying to raise money in orphanages. You, you want to go to places where people are truly powerless, where they really don't have a voice? There are people in this world and other places who will live and die, and nobody will ever even know their name. And so, yes, get righteous, get bent out of shape, let this thing motivate you, but get a bigger picture, man. There's, this is going on all over the world, and it's the works of the devil. And how can we help to tear down the works of the devil?
And if you really want to be specific about this, look, it's such a big thing, it's really overwhelming. If I let my mind focus on all the evil in the world and all the stuff that needs to be fixed, it is just simply, it is so overwhelming. Years ago, I told that starfish story about that kid who, who takes a walk on the beach and that tide had come in and washed all of those red starfish up on the beach. And the tide, it was a super high tide, super strong. And when it went out, it left tens of thousands of starfish. So the kid was walking down the beach, picking one up at a time and throwing it back. And the sun was baking them. No way he was ever going to save all of the starfish. No way. And some dude is walking down the beach, an adult who sees the kid doing it, walks up to the kid and says, hey, don't you know you can't save all of these starfish? You're not going to be able to really make a difference. And the kid bent down, picked one up, threw it in and said, it makes a difference to that one. So we can't change the world. You're right. We can't fix every injustice. Right. But we can recognize that they're all over us and the ones that God puts us in front of, let's do something about. Remember the story of the little kid? Uh, maybe you weren't here. I was in Peru one time with this orphan that was, he was so skinny wearing clothes that were 20 times too big for him. And we stop at an all-you-can-eat buffet, and this kid had never been exposed to that kind of food before. And I didn't realize he wouldn't know how to act. So it jumps, a bunch of orphans jump off a bus, they run into this nice restaurant, they cut in line, they take their plates, and they're just piling it as high as they can with food. They put so much food on their plates, they shut the buffet down, an all-you-can-eat buffet. And the people dressed like I'm dressed. We're standing there watching it so angry at a bunch of hungry kids. A bunch of hungry kids. And I'm standing there sort of embarrassed at what I'm seeing, thinking, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. And a little boy with a plate so full of spaghetti and so full of bread and so full of everything he could pie. It was as big as half of his body. And he walks up to me and says, do you think this is what heaven's going to be like? <laughs> what do you think heaven will be like? For that little kid, heaven would have been a place where his stomach was full. Where he would eat regularly. You know, in a moment of brilliance, I know it was the Holy Spirit. I said, that's exactly what heaven's going to be like. You know that heaven is described initially as the marriage supper of the Lamb? It's a great buffet where we eat with Jesus. Heaven will be that place where people are satisfied, but not just with food, with everything. But do we have to wait to heaven to find satisfaction? Or can we be part of Tikkun Olam here to help heal the world? What's your job in this? How do you see yourself in this? So easy to judge people. So easy to say, yeah, pastor, I agree. Horrible death. But now there's so many things that have blurred the message. And so I, I can't get involved in it. I'm telling you, you are making a mistake because you're fighting the wrong enemy. And that's my next point that I want to take you to. The great deception in this whole thing is Ephesians 6.12. Look at this, this scripture right here. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits 
in heavenly places. So what is the Apostle Paul telling us? That the enemy you're fighting against is not, it does not have flesh and blood. It may feel like your enemy has hair and skin and blood and flesh, but your enemy does not have different color skin than you. Your enemy is not the person you married. Your enemy is not your neighbor. Your enemy is not another country who doesn't agree with us. Your enemy is an unseen spiritual enemy. And here's how good your enemy is. He comes and he incites this group of people against this group of people. And then he steps out of the way as those two groups of people fight and kill each other. And he is so good that he's undetected in his work. And his work has gone on for tens of thousands of years. Where he incites people against each other. So that all they see is flesh and blood. Rather than the fact that the enemy's been at work in a people group. And instead of fighting the real enemy. Which is where you should always put your energy. Tear down the works of the devil. Not the works of another person. Tear down the works of the devil. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Do you remember the story? God creates them, puts them in the perfect environment with one job. Take care of this garden, watch over each other, care for each other. They're in this awesome relationship with each other. And then we find the enemy enters in through temptation to do the opposite thing that God told them not to do. With, with the lie that you can become like God. That's the original lie. You can become like God. So he tempts them to do the disobedience of eating from the knowledge of good and evil. And their eyes are opened. <laughs> but here's the problem. They're human and they cannot be like God. It actually causes death. And then when God comes, as he always did in the cool of the day, to just hang out with his creation... What he loved, what he loved to do was just hang out with his friends. That's it. He comes like he always did to hang out with the man and the woman. And he finds them hiding from him. And when he calls to them, Adam, where are you? Adam appears. And Adam said, uh, I was hiding because I heard your voice. And God said, why were you hiding? I've taught this, that if God's asking you why, it's not because he lacks the knowledge. He's trying to get you to realize something. Why are you hiding from me? And then when God quizzes them a little bit more on what happened, who did this? Instead of saying the enemy, Adam goes, the woman you gave me. Like it's God's fault for giving him the woman. And what we find immediately is that the enemy has infiltrated mankind and pitted them against each other. So that instead of turning against the enemy and saying, God, the enemy has found a way to mislead us, they begin to fight with each other. So I teach every couple that I do their premarital for, if I'm the one who does it. I always teach them, how do you know when the enemy is entered into your relationship? No one who gets married gets married because they hate each other. 
They get married because they love each other. But those people who fall so in love with each other, who get along so well, who have so much in common or else they don't get married, what happens to them? The enemy infiltrates the relationship. They lose the thing that they had agreement over and they begin to fight over the tares or the seeds that the enemy has sown in their lives. And he does the same thing with mankind. So the great deception that we fight with today is that another people group is not your enemy. The enemy is your enemy. And until you focus your effort and your energy in fighting the real energy enemy, all you'll do is spend your energy trying to kill each other. Hmm. So I thought about this. Look at our world right now and look at America right now. Let's just throw this out, right? Um, we come through three months of a disease that shuts down everything. Our economy, uh, our livelihoods, our, um, our recreation, our way of life. It's completely shut down. In my lifetime, I've never experienced anything like it. I know that we have had diseases that have hit the planet before, but I didn't live through some of the things that happened in the 1500s. I didn't live through things that happened in the early 1900s. The only thing that I can relate it to, I was old enough to remember polio, and I was old enough to remember uh, when, when mumps and measles were, were running rampant. In fact, I, I got the mumps when I was a kid. I remember that. But it didn't shut down the entire country. And we just experienced this, I'm going to say once in a lifetime, but is it? Or is it at the beginning of something that we may experience more and more? And here's my point. We just experienced this incredible, without a doubt, without a doubt, this unbelievable experience where, where our country is still trying to recover financially, we're still trying to recover emotionally, spiritually. Churches are still trying to get going again. Businesses are trying to get going. Some are never coming back. That happens to us. And before we can even heal, all of a sudden, this thing has hit our country. We go from one incredible trial and test to another incredible trial and test. And nobody ever asks, what's going on? What's going on? How many of these in a row do you think a country or a world can take before things begin to pull apart? What do you think it is? Things that are long overdue? What do you think this is? I will tell you that if the Bible teaches us that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, spiritual wickedness, and, and, and spirits in high places, meaning they operate around the world, what we see going on right now, Jesus described it in Matthew 24 when he talked about his return and what the world would look like. He said things would begin to happen that will shock people, mislead people. Uh, I'll use my vernacular. It will freak people out. Jesus said this. It's going to happen. And then he said this, but that's not the end. It's only the beginning of birth pains that are coming to our world. Can I just say to you right now, you need to see this for what's really going on, man. This is not simply one little issue and another little issue. It's the beginning of birth pains right now of a, of a time where we've got to decide who we're going to fight, what we're going to be about, and how we're going to hold on to each other. Or, dude, it's going to be very hard. 
to make it through the days that are coming our way. Now, I know that that's maybe, maybe you're less like, I, I, I don't want to hear that, Pastor. I disagree with that. You're making more of it than, than it needs to be. Then you explain it to me. You tell me how something that's, that they're saying it once in a lifetime, what if it happens twice in your lifetime? Would you then agree that we're living in a different age? Something's going on in our world right now. So I just, I'm just going to tell you the mindset that I have. It's birth pains that lead to a bigger... There's a spiritual thing happening. Jesus is going to return and the government's going to be put upon his shoulders. Don't lose that hope. But in the meantime, the enemy will rage and do all he can to bring havoc, terror, and steal peace from this world. And you don't have to just take it. You can do something about it. You can be a person who works to reconcile, heal, and make a difference in this world. Now, you can't, you can't save everybody, but you can make a difference for some. And will you do that? So I just wrote this in the notes. I don't even know if it's in your notes. But I wrote it in mine. These three things, I think, like, here's the mindset that I have right here. Here's the hope that I'm holding on to. Here's the thing that doesn't just let me say, oh, it's so bad. Why, why even try? <laughs> you know, if that's your attitude, it's just so bad. Why even try? Oh, man, the enemy... So here, here, let me just say these three things. One, here's what the Bible teaches us. Stand firm till the end. Matthew 24, 13. Look at this scripture. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Your job in the middle of everything that you're saying right now is not to let it overwhelm you like, like a wave that you're just like, I, I, just, I just don't know what to do. This is just so bad. It's just, I just, I, I'll just turn the TV off. Don't. Man, stand up and stand firm. Don't turn away and hide your, your, yourself from, from all the stuff that's going on. This is the time for the church to be the light. The second one, here's an attitude that I just have. Here's how I'm going to live my life till Jesus comes by. Uh, back, I'm going to occupy until he returns. Luke 19, 13 says he called his 10 servants, delivered them 10 pounds, and said unto them, look at the sentence, occupy Till I come back, till I return. He's using the analogy of a businessman who goes on a long trip, puts his servants in charge of his affairs, and he says, occupy, do business, stay involved until I get back. We cannot turn from the trouble in the world. We've got to run to it. We've got to be involved in it. We've got to do our parts. And to let the enemy find a way to sideline you or to tell you, oh, it's just, you know, you, you can't be involved in this. It's just all, don't do that. Here's the third one. And this is one, it's on my wall in my office at home. It's on a card in my little prayer room downstairs here at the building. Um, it's, it's, it's a scripture that when I go through my day, I'll read this out loud when I'm, when I'm under it when it's overwhelming to me, when stuff's going wrong, when, even when stuff's going right and I just feel tired, this, this scripture from Galatians 6, 9, very familiar, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You cannot become weary in doing good. Church, listen, we can't become weary in doing good. 
We've got to right now do good. We've got to be part of Tikkun Olam to help bring healing to the world, to, to, to make the law work for people rather than making people work for the law. How, how can we do good? How can we bring healing? How can we help? How can we stand in the gap? How do we, how do we not like the world uh, choose this side and then leave this group out or choose this side and leave the, how do we get that we've got to bring things together for people? That's what the church is here for, to reconcile. And it's a word that we throw out there really casually, but to reconcile man means to bring people together, not to bring division to people. How do we bring them together? We've got to work in conjunction with Jesus right now and do his works here on this earth to tear down the works of the devil. Ah, it's a big thought. It's a huge thought. I, some of you are going to listen to what I'm saying right now and just go, yeah, I guess when Jesus comes back, it'll all be good. <laughs> so then how do you ignore all the parts of the Bible, especially the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we're told to pray. How do we bring God's, how do we bring his will here to the earth? Or do you think that ah, that's good for the disciples, but not for me? So I'm telling you, this is going to be strong. Listen to what I'm saying. We're all going to give an answer for what we did about bringing God's kingdom here to this earth. We're all going to give an answer for that. It won't be heaven and hell, but it will be the judgment of believers and what you did with what God gave you and what you did when you heard truth. And if you're like, well, pastor, I, I just don't know. Now you know. So what will you do with it? How do you get involved? <laughs> if you're just like stunned, I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's come to church. Give, pray, go. Missions is all around us. It's your next door neighbor and it's all the way down in Peru and in Africa. It's in downtown Denver. It's, it's at the public library. It's in your children's bedrooms in your wife's heart, your husband's dreams. It's, it's wherever you go. Work to bring healing and reconciliation. It's huge. We can't save them all, but we can make a difference to some. And that's how I want to live my life. And I believe that that's the life you've always wanted. You want to create a world where there's peace and there's joy? What are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? It's our responsibility to get, man, that we are the repairers of the world. We occupy. We do business. Will God find faith when he returns to the earth? He asked that question. Where else would he find faith if he doesn't find it in the church? And what will you do with this message right now? And is it just one of those things that you're just going to hear it? You've already picked sides, so you've already decided, Pastor, I'm, you can't speak to this. I tried. I'll say that. At least I tried. Maybe I made a difference to one. So Father, I love you and thank you. And I offer this up to you um, in the hopes, Lord, that instead of the enemy winning in this situation, instead of the enemy um, dividing people more and more, instead of the enemy just sowing more and more lies and more and more fear and more and more terror, more and more hate, 
then instead of that, God, we'd recognize that we need to tear down the works of the enemy. That Jesus, you call us to be people who have the ministry of reconciliation. That you've reconciled us and you call us to be people who reconcile. God, how do we take that serious? What can be done with this? Man, I hope that people who are my age and older don't hear this message and think, um, nah, nah I, I don't need to be doing those things. May the Lord convict you about that kind of an attitude. And may people who are far younger than me who feel like I, I've, I've got to get out there and do something, may you not be deceived by the enemy to pick the wrong enemy to fight. Recognize recognize and work to tear down the works of the enemy, not let the enemy deceive you and you get hate in your heart. It just perpetuates on and on and on. What would God have us do? What would he have us do? If nothing else, I hope it bothers you enough to at least have a conversation about this. Even if you don't like what I said, may you have a conversation about what our job is in it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks, church.